Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we are back with another episode for you. I'm really excited for this one. Um, we're going to be covering a topic. I don't think we've actually had uh, this topic in particular on before, so I'm looking forward to digging into it a little bit deeper. But before we get to that, we have to bring on our esteemed co-host, Sam Bradley. Sam, you've been super busy with IDMC stuff, I know, and um, enjoying the, the milder weather out in Colorado right now. Well, up until today, today it was 85, and for me, that's pretty miserable. So, you know, if it stays right around, right a little bit under 80, that makes me happy. But, you know, you got what you got. Um, And we have Becky and Dan with us tonight. So, Becky and Dan, hi. Hello, hello. And Hello, good evening. What's going on with the weather? Um, And, you know... And that those nasty hurricanes down there. Anything new? You Dan? Do the weather, Dan. No, you do the weather and I'll touch on it. Oh, uh, you want me to do the weather. Okay. Yeah, you're yeah. the meteorologist. She's I'll touch the, briefly on She's like, disaster TV planning stuff. now. We changed her designation. <laughs> <laughs> so on the weather, it's it's been a you know, it, it's actually, you know, we had that tropical well, what became Tropical Storm Alex, that before it was a tropical storm, was brought really heavy flooding rain to parts of South Florida late last week. Some places got over a foot of rainfall. And there was flooding and cars stranded on the roads. And um, it rains a lot in Florida, but when it comes pretty quickly, that that can still happen. So, uh, but that's that's actually a that's the latest start of the hurricane season we've had since I think 2014. I think every year except for this year. Since 2014, we've had um, a storm, a named storm before the beginning of June. So this is a bit of a normal or a a more normal start to the season with a named storm in the first week of June. Um, We're quiet right now. And then we'll, you know, we'll ramp up as we usually do as we head through the rest of the summer. So I think, uh, you know, a a quick start, but a lull here in the next uh, week or so. And maybe we're watching something in the Gulf of Mexico again, maybe this time next week. But again, in, in June, it's pretty pretty much on the quieter side. Usually the, the real quote unquote fun is by August and September. You said that word again, Dan, you know, better quiet. I know. Oh, I know. You I, say, said it I, again. I, I say it too much. <laughs> he never learns. He's obviously never worked in an ER or in EMS. He just, he doesn't get it. Um, <laughs> Becky, anything you want to add? Well, so I was going to briefly touch on heat. So we're obviously heading into summer um, and the Pacific Northwest is going to experience some really hot temperatures over the weekend. And then the Southeast United States is going to heat up um, in the, towards the middle of next week. And so I just want to touch on, you know, making sure that we're preparing for extreme heat and, you know, doing everything we can to to recognize, you know, signs of heat illness and pet safety when you take your pets outside. Um, just, I don't know. I had more to say than that. There we go. Um, staying hydrated, obviously wearing lightweight clothing is important. Um, if you're outside finding shade, things like that. Um, but you know, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, make sure you know the signs of those, um, and stay safe. Cause this is probably the first time this year that we've seen heat to this extent. Well, and it reminds me, we need to do our annual 
hot weather update with just those points. So we'll put that on the oh, schedule. Quick, quick clarification, the desert southwest, not the pack northwest. Very ah. different because the Pacific Northwest is actually coming up on their one-year anniversary of a deadly heat out, outbreak or heat heat event. So, But this is the, the desert southwest we're talking about this coming weekend. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> Dan? Yeah, just one other one other thing to add about uh, the uh, weather side of things here. We've had a lot of uh, rounds of thunderstorms, some of them severe with damaging winds and flash flooding. That's pretty typical as you head into summer, especially across the plains into the southeast. Um, we're still watching for that as we head into the end of the week and over the weekend with some complexes of these storms coming from basically southwest to northeast or from from northwest to southeast rather across the plains. And we've seen flash flooding in places like Birmingham, Alabama, parts of northern Arkansas. Uh, eastern Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Norman seen some flash flooding, and those areas can experience another round of flash flooding during the day on Friday with more thunderstorms. So it's a pretty uh, active pattern with all sorts of different interesting things happening with the tropical stuff. Last week, we've got these flash flooding events. Um, Becky mentioned the heat, which is really starting to build as we head through June now, and then also some potential for some heavy rainfall in parts of the interior northwest, a pretty unusual event. The atmospheric river term has been tossed out again when you get that flow of air from the Pacific into the um, into the northwest, and that's going to bring some heavier rainfall to parts of Idaho and Oregon and the uh, Oregon and Washington Cascades. That's going to cause some flooding over the weekend. So a lot of things happening in different parts of the country and uh, things we'll be uh, watching over the next week or so. What about uh, St. Louis? Is it going to rain some more? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, Jamie, you have a comment. I was just going to throw out there with the with the torrential rain. We had a, a my daughter and her wife were at a concert venue last night when a really bad series of storms came through the Baltimore region um, with um, some tor- and then in before the concert started a series of everyone's phone went off with a tornado warning. Oh, crap. <laughs> and it kind of freaked out the crowd a little bit. Some people started just running for the exits. The concert venue must have had a, uh, an emergency plan that they tried to put into place where they were getting people from the lawn area to go into the restrooms and the people under the pavilion to stay put because they didn't want them out in the open in the parking lot. And um, it caused, you know, it caused some consternation and some bad, you know, people weren't reacting well. And the concert venue didn't come out well, looking well at the end of it because they had to end up canceling the concert. Um, But it just um, something we might want to touch on down the road is event preparations and preparedness um, in the advent of severe storms and things like that. Because they clearly had a plan and they were trying to implement it with a crowd of people that had all gotten alerts on their phones. Um, about severe weather. So it was an interesting kind of combination of events that all happened at once. I don't know if, Becky, if you've ever thought about anything like that, because it's, it's just an interesting collection of, you know, everyone getting the notification at about the same time in a large venue like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating discussion from a psychological standpoint. You know, you can't really control how people respond and react. You can have the best plan in place, but especially in crowds like that. And a lot of, of books that I've read and like disaster management have touched on the, the danger of crowds um, when they all get, you know, frightened and scared and you get to, you know, trampling and stuff like that. So it, it's, it's partially on the venue, 
um, to have that plan in place and to have it well advertised and to have, you know, the staff there to be able to implement it. But it's also really largely up to how the individual person responds. And then once you get into that crowd mentality, it's almost over from there. Well, Gary has his hand up before we introduce him, but we want to hear what he has to say about this. Gary? This is a topic that I know quite a while quite well. Um, actually just retired from the city of St. Louis emergency management last April in 2021. Um, did a lot of special events planning with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, St. Louis Blues, Bear St. Louis, a number of events. And it's difficult at best to implement such a plan when you have to have 35 to 60,000 people abide by it. Um, and I'm preaching to the choir, usually 30,000 of them have a cell phone and a weather map and become meteorologists and know better than the organizers. So it, it, it's challenging. Um, I've had quite a bit of experience with it, and uh, it, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, I never really thought about, you know, yeah, there's a plan and, and there's warnings, but if everybody has a phone... It, how does that muck things up? So interesting. Well, Gary Chrisman uh, is someone I talk to daily because uh, speaking of IDMC, he's one of our command staff. And uh, we do talk together just about every day if we're not on a conference call together. So, Gary, why don't you tell them a little bit more about what you do and what you're doing and what you've done? Well, um, I'm glad to hear this is a six-hour podcast. Um <laughs> I'm Gary Christman. Uh, as I said, I, I just recently retired from the city of St. Louis uh, after 30 years of public safety with the city of St. Louis. My last position was the commissioner of emergency management, spent time on the ambulance, worked with public health, worked with uh, the marshal's office, uh, law enforcement, fire EMS, and um, Retired last year, took a full-time position at uh, St. Luke's Hospital System here in St. Louis as the Safety and Preparedness Manager. I'm also a board member and part of the command staff of IDMC, um, Deputy Commander of the Midwest One Disaster Medical Assistance Team. I'm also a Deputy Commander of a State Disaster and Fatality Team as well as uh, a member of the Greater St. Louis Critical Incident Stress Management Team. Um, kind of a, a sh quick background of, of what I've done or what I'm doing currently, um, along with uh, a couple other hobbies that I think uh, we'll be touching base on here. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot more to his resume, but here's a guy that just has nothing to do. I don't, yeah, you know. Or has, <laughs> or somebody that can't say no. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that one. But we're going to talk about something fun because somebody I learned something I learned about you very recently was you're a storm chaser. Yes, I am. Uh, been chasing since uh, 2016. Wow. So what makes you? <laughs> Becky's on that already. Uh, <laughs> she, she loves that stuff, but. It, what makes you? What makes someone a professional storm chaser? It, you know, before 2016, I've always been interested in weather. Um, probably ever since I was playing little league baseball, I was 
pitching one day in a game and the people in the outfield were yelling they were getting wet because it was raining. And of course it wasn't where I was standing and that just amazed me. And from there I got a really good interest in it. And I amateur storm chased on my own uh, living in the Midwest. Of course you get all the good weather, but in 2016 um, I applied and accepted a position as a driver guide for a company out of Arlington, Texas called Tempest tours. Um, so I've been driving for them since then. And, uh, I guess that's what makes me a professional. I don't know if professional is a right word. Um, my wife usually says others, but, um, <laughs> it, it is a job, um, more of a paid hobby, as I would say. Um, I'm just fortunate that I'm able to drive and, and get the experiences and, and give others experience in, in something that I, I truly love to do. Well, Becky chased from 2007 to 2014, so I'm sure she'll have some yeah. some questions for you and some things to add. But, you know, I, I was trying to find a, a quick definition of storm chasing, and, and this is kind of cute. Storm chasing is part science and part art, planning, patience, and luck. It blends forecasting and interpretation of the sky and the need for expert navigation. It's a test of endurance and temptation. You want to get close, but not too close. What do you think? <laughs> Does that hit? Sounds like a good definition. Yeah. I think so, some people want to get it a little bit closer than others, but. Yeah. The crazy ones. The ones you see on TV. Mm-hmm. So how many people are in your vehicle when you're chasing? We normally have two vans. Uh, so we got eight people in each van, including the driver. Uh, the, the lead van usually has the driver and um, the main guide uh, who is over all the tours. So he's kind of the tour director. And then um, that van has six guests in it. Uh, there's a couple of tours that they'll have either one van and then Tempest also does private tours uh, where they may have one person or, or a couple of people that go out, usually with the uh, president and owner of Tempest Tours. Well, the guys on TV always focused on photography and sending photography to the to the weather stations. Does your mm -hmm. does your group do that as well? We do. There is a lot of different people that come to go storm chasing from all different types of background. Uh, but one of the things that you'll find common amongst all of them is, is their love for photography as well. So some of them are writing books and need the uh, photographs for their books. Others are hobbyists. Others are professional photographers uh, that sell their photographs. And, you know, others are, are just enthusiasts that want to get out and, and see what storm chasing is all about. Well, photography would be me. So how Absolutely. about data, data analyzing? Do you do you collect data for later analyzing? We do call in reports to the National Weather Service. Um, we will give them reports on ground truth. Uh, don't want to preach to the choir. The radar is really good nowadays. It's a whole lot better than it used to be, but it still <laughs> doesn't actually see what's on the ground. So, you know, they they're wonderful as far as saying, yes, there is rotation. Yes, there appears to be a tornado. There's debris signatures, but they love to have that ground truth of, yes, there is a tornado on the ground. It is, you know, 
moving in this direction, it's X, Y, and Z. Uh, along with that is hail reports, uh, wind reports, uh, those type of things that you know we collect and, and provide to them as well. Well, that was one of the things on my list is, is how do you measure risk? Because I know that if nothing else, hail is part of this process and that could take out your windshield, which kind of would stop your trip. <laughs> uh, yeah, been there. I'm sure. <laughs> um, Becky, is this similar to your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, I really echo the, the ground truth comment. Radar is very, very good, but there's also a lot of spots that don't have great radar coverage, and they also can't see everything. And they also scan, you know, every five minutes. So you're going to miss things in there and having ground truth from reliable and trustworthy spotters is incredibly valuable. I know when I was an operational meteorologist, I used that data uh, regularly. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I chased, you know, 07 to 214. Only reason I, I stopped for a few reasons. One, I moved to Pennsylvania. You don't really chase in the Northeast. There's not really storms out here to chase. Um, but it also, I, the last day I chased was the day of the more, um, tornado. So I guess technically I stopped in 2013. Um, that was a really, really sobering day for me to, we were on the, the back edge of the storm ended up being an EF five that went through, uh, more Oklahoma. And Ooh, it's, we didn't, we didn't see, we didn't see the tornado. We were too far South, um, which was fine. Honestly, I didn't need to see that, but it's, it's, it's I don't know how you explain it. Like Sober, as someone who's sobering. Well, yeah, but even, yeah, but, but as a meteorologist and someone who appreciates the atmosphere, like it's truly astounding to stand and like feel, you know, the inflow or the outflow on your face and to see this, you know, a massive supercell rotating and to see four inch hail, as long as it's not hitting your windshield, it really is a, a rush and a thrill. And I, I get why so many people do it. I don't get why so many people get so close nowadays, but that's another story. Yeah, it, it's really a bittersweet because you know how destructive these are and you know the potential of what the damage is going to be. Um, but like you said, the, the the love of just the atmosphere and, and the storm development, you know, one of the things with storm chasing is, is you really, you have to love weather. If you go just to see tornadoes, you're probably going to be disappointed. Um, we see quite a few, but we also get to witness the birth of the storm all the way to that tornadic um, supercell. So it, it's really the love of all parts of it. And having that distance between you and in that beauty uh, to ensure your safety and, of course, ours being the guest, but, you know, knowing the destruction it, it can do, but also knowing that the more that we're providing that ground truth, the meteorologists are going to be able to do more with the technology that they have. What do you think about that, Don? Dan? Don? <laughs> I can go by Don, too, I guess. Oh, um, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it's something that, you know, speaking from a operational forecasting standpoint, our teams at, at, at AccuWeather are using not just radar and satellite and observations, but storm spotter, you know, uh, storm spotter reports all the time. 
Um, that's why it's great to have people who are out there who are trained in what they're looking at. Um, it's great to have people that are really knowledgeable about it um, because it really helps to just provide the indication of like, this is actually happening. Um, and, and, and we can really learn a lot about it. And then from the research side of things, I mean, the, like the amount of knowledge we've gained about severe storms um, in the last 20, 30 years because of the advent of storm chasing. And now, especially with all the different data we're gathering, all the different projects that go out every year that are funded by the, like the National Science Foundation and other groups to study tornadoes and other types of severe storms are really helpful to understanding why certain storms produce tornadoes, why certain storms don't, what's the best environment for certain types of uh, severe weather hazards. And the um, people who are on the, on the ground doing the observations or the research on it is, is really valuable part of the process. Well, just so you know, Gary, these two have made uh, disaster junkies out of me and Jamie and Joe, and <laughs> you know we're, we're we're pretty keen on the weather ourselves. I've been studying up because it's it, it's fascinating. But it is. I have a question for you that actually wasn't on my list, but you know, being an EMS person, what would happen if you're, you know, you're watching a tornado pass through? And you go to where the damage is. Are you inclined, and can you, and do you, jump out and try to see if you can rescue people? We normally try to avoid the damage path, uh, and the reason behind that is, is we don't want to be part of the traffic jam. Uh, we want to clear the way for the the local first responders to be able to get there, do their damage assessment, do their search and rescue, and provide medical care to those that need it. With that being said, um, I have not had the opportunity or the opportunity has not um, popped up in these cases, but I would definitely use my skills if I came upon that. Um, our, of course, our main goal and responsibility is our guest, but usually when we finish our view from the distance of that tornado, that storm, like I said, we try to avoid going into the damage areas uh, just so the first responders can do their job. Yeah, but if someone comes running up the street screaming, I'm sure you'd probably lend a hand. It's I just would. A, just in your nature to do that. So I was looking at what exactly the the weather looks like when you decide where to go, and I want you to elaborate on that, but. It means that there's a dip in the jet stream banking cold air and low pressure over the western United States while warmth and moisture pulls east. That provides a necessary fuel for storms, while occasional pieces of energy eject from the low pressure system out of the Rockies, thank you, triggering rounds of storms over the plains. Right, Dan? Does that make sense to you? That, that's pretty good, yeah. Hmm. Can't remember where yeah. I found that. but Sounds textbook. Yeah, it probably is. But I was going to ask you, you know, like you knew that this group of storms was coming in that you chased a few weeks ago. How do you plan where and when, where to go and when to get there and where the best spots are? The tour director uh, that I chase with has been doing it since the mid-90s, and he's a climatologist by education, um, but really the storm chasing starts 24, 48 hours out. You're looking at the storm prediction site. You're looking at the National Weather Service. There's a number of online modeling um, sites that we utilize to look at where that potential site 
of um, energy is going to be for those storms. And you try to get yourself as close as possible to that. But everybody knows Mother Nature changes her mind constantly. So you can be anywhere from 100 miles to you know 50 miles off from where your, your target site is. So with those modeling, you know, 24 to 48 hours out can change. But once we um, chase the one day, the that night, we're already starting to model for the next day. And we get up that morning where our target area is and uh, start looking at the models again. And at times we end up driving anywhere from another two, three, four hours uh, to another site and then continue to, to do the forecast models uh, throughout the day. Most of your severe weather is around sunset. Um, potential tornadoes usually happen around that time of the day. Uh, they can happen anytime, but those are usually the uh, times where most of your storms are going to start producing tornadic weather and we'll end up driving to another site. So there's a lot of luck to it, but um, Bill Reed, the uh, tour director for Tempest Tours, is really good at forecasting and, and getting us into the locations we need to be. So I'm going to get to Dan here in a second, but have you ever had any guests just freak out and want to run away and <laughs> change their mind about the whole thing? I have not had anybody run away. I've had several guests that got extremely nervous. Um, so there's a lot of just ensuring them that, you know, we're not going to put them in harm's way. Uh, our goal is, yes, to see severe weather and tornadoes, but our primary goal is safety. Um, Martin Lewis, the president and owner of Tempest Tours, is very proactive as far as the safety goes. Um, every tour that I do, I go through an orientation. Every driver, every guide goes through an orientation before they start their tour, just focusing on the safety of storm chasing, because there's many things that you have to be concerned about. Well, being as you're a safety guy, that makes perfect sense. So, Mr. Dan? You had a comment? Oh, I think the you know the question and the discussion about where you know how you look at the weather and where you go and it's it's really you know some weather patterns are more obvious than others too. Some are more marginal. You, you can have all the ingredients together, but you just need like one small trigger. And if you get the trigger, you'll get a couple of really awesome storms. If you don't get, it, you'll get absolutely nothing. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to someone who worked about this the other day this week. And there was a stretch of time basically from late last week through the middle part of this week where if you were basically in the central part of Nebraska, you could have stayed at like the same Holiday Inn in like North Platte and you could have stayed in the parking lot for a week and seen a storm that was amazing every day. Um, just so happened that the pattern was sort of the same over the same spot. And that's that's not that typical, um, but that, that, that was a pretty cool example of where you can get lucky if you're in the right spot um, in, in, in the right weather pattern. That has never happened to me. <laughs> we do a lot of driving. Um, that's the other thing with storm chasing is, is that you're in a vehicle for a long period of time. Um, you can go anywhere from six to eight hours of driving per day. Becky? So what's your most memorable storm or storm chase and why? Aha, that was on my list too. <laughs> Dodge City, Kansas. Oh, God, of course. Okay. Yeah, 2016. <sighs> Three tornadoes on the ground at the same time. Um, 
it was probably one of the most memorable years of my uh, storm chasing. And we had a number of different tornadoes in that 11 day period, but that was probably the, the best with three tornadoes on the, on the ground at the same time. Oh my God. How do you decide which way to go? <laughs> well, they were close enough that we didn't have to go anywhere. We just watched. Oh, you just sit still and, and yeah. see where they go. Yeah. That's Usually a most of the time a storm will cycle. So you'll have a tornado and it will rope out and then the storm will recycle. If it, it remains strong enough with the, the energy and the Cape and the dew points and all the components, it, it, Usually we'll then reproduce another tornado, but this one actually um, produced three on the ground at the same time. Oosh. So, Jamie, you've been pretty quiet back there. I'm just taking all this in, and we've got plenty of weather people to, to comment and ask the good <laughs> questions. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's it's a fascinating topic to look at um, because it's it's an interesting endeavor to – stand off and watch the the as you said earlier gary the 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 immense power and and force and what's going on on the ground maybe you know miles away from your location um is super destructive but you're standing off at a distance watching it for the for the power and the and the and the the force and the impress impressive nature of the the storm from a distance and it's just a you know, completely different look at what's going on. It really is. And, you know, the areas that we target, um, the tours usually start off in Oklahoma in April and then end of mid-June, they'll start moving up towards the Denver area uh, for our home base. And then June and July, we'll be out of Denver. Just with the jet stream change and the, the systems usually go further north at that time of the year. But we focus on areas where we can see, you know, a far distance. We don't chase where there's urban areas and you got buildings. We don't chase into heavily forest areas. You want to be able to see where that storm is moving. The radar is great, but that ground truth and the vision is the most important thing. Um, And along with that, once the storm passes and the evening sets, it really makes for a great light show at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, well, Becky can relate. Uh, you were like at the at the the edge of that F five. What was your scariest experience, Bex? Ooh, I don't think it was that day. Um, <laughs> it would be for me. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we were we were far enough south. We were we were pretty far south that day. But we had one day we were chasing, and we came on us up onto a storm right as the hail was ending and it was it was four inch hail i have pictures of it um and so we paused and got got out of our car to you know pick up some of the hailstones and this was this was before radar scope this was uh, this was before radar scope and so we had a um someone taught guiding us through you know via phone he was sitting in front of a radar back in in wichita kansas and, you know, sort of instructing us where to go. And he realized, he didn't realize we had stopped. 
and we shouldn't have stopped for as long as we did. And we actually ended up getting caught in the core of a storm because Oops. we we paused and he didn't know that. And we didn't have the situational awareness um, because we didn't have we either didn't have radar scope or we didn't have um, good cell, good enough cell coverage to to check the radar. So we almost had a windshield get blown out that day. Oh. Oh, your, your spidey senses let you down, huh? Yeah, you, we got distracted, right? And that's easy to do. You get distracted looking at this massive hail, and then you, you're not looking around, you're not looking up. And we had rotation pretty much right over us and managed to drive away and get just far enough away, but it was pretty close. Oops, what is that? Uh, I don't think we want to know. Jamie, you had another question? Yeah, you were talking about how you moved into Denver Gary, and later in the season, and I was wondering if you all were looking at moving towards more towards the southeast at any point, because we've been seeing, I know Dan and Becky have been talking about how more severe weather seems to be tracking into the, the southeast um, from from where it was traditionally more into what was more traditionally known as Tornado Alley. And I was wondering if that was something, you know, trend that you all were paying attention to. We, we are looking at that trend, um, but right now we're still based out of Oklahoma for the uh, April, May, beginning of June, and then up to Denver. Now, even though those are our base hotels where we start, the guests come in, and, and that's where we do orientation and leave from, um, you know, I've I've chased out of Oklahoma City and ended up in North Dakota on the Canadian border and then down towards Corpus Christi in Texas. So we cover a wide area. It's pretty much where the storms go. But, you know, as I pointed out earlier, one of the things that we try to avoid is the urban areas and the trees. You start getting into Arkansas, you start getting into the eastern side of Texas, and it really gets difficult, uh, the chase in those areas. I know a lot of people do, uh, but we tend to err on the side of caution and let those storms go. It, it's disappointing to our guests. Um, like we said earlier, everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's got a weather map. Usually it's weather scope. And they're seeing those storms and they're, you know, watching Twitter and so Facebook and, you know, all those storm chasers that are seeing tornadoes. Um, but we just remind them that, you know, those those are areas that are really dangerous to chase in, and, and we prefer not to do that. Good plan. Becky, you made a comment about Tornado Alley. Yeah, I mean, so Tornado Alley has, you know, traditionally we would think of it as, you know, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, kind of those main three states, maybe a little bit little bit up in the Dakotas, a little bit into Texas. Um, but it's it's really started to expand and, and shift into the southeast quite a bit. You have but a lot of tornado like major tornado outbreaks take place in, in Mississippi, um, you know, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky. So it's it's certainly over the past like decade or so. And Dan may be able to provide you know, more statistics on this, but it has expanded. But those are not at all good places to chase for a lot of the points. A lot of the reasons that Gary just mentioned, there's a lot of trees. The road network is not good. It's it's pretty populated. So people do chase. It's just not going to be your classic plains, sea for miles um, type of, of chasing. Yeah, and you had your own experience living here and quite close to me in Windsor with a tornado when you were living here, eh? 
in my backyard, and I was chasing in Kansas that day. <laughs> chasing it out of her backyard is what she was doing, <laughs> <laughs> or trying to. Yeah, I'm glad we haven't had one that close. Yeah, I think. that one was pretty unusual. Pretty far west for that. So, Dan, comments on that? Yeah, I mean, it certainly has expanded east. If you look at the research that's been done recently, there's there's a pretty noteworthy trend uptick in tornado frequency in basically like northern Louisiana through Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, far western Kentucky, uh, Missouri, that area. Um, not that they haven't experienced tornadoes before. They, they obviously have. But just the, the frequency has increased there. It's gone down slightly in the plains. It's not like we're shifting it totally, but we've just had more areas that seem to have an increased number of tornadoes in the last several decades. We'll see if it's a sort of a decadal cycle thing or if it's more of a long-term trend. We don't really know that yet. So I have one last question. Gary, we'll start with you. Can you smell tornado weather? <laughs> Can I smell tornado weather? There's, there's definitely a smell after a thunderstorm or even before a thunderstorm. Um, I would say no. I have not been able to smell the air and say there's going to be a tornado. Um, <laughs> that would be interesting, but um, it, it it definitely has that smell to it. And I think a lot of it is, is because it's turning up the grass or the wheat or um, the atmosphere. And then, of course, you always have that that rain smell that's inside of that as well. So there's a number of, of times that I've I've had the opportunity to smell, you know, during the, the tornado or the thunderstorm, and it's definitely a unique smell. Um, but a lot of it is is looking at the atmosphere and, and you know, calculating what the best areas are um, to that. Dan? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure I smell it. I mean, I've never seen a tornado. I've never seen really great severe weather for that matter because I haven't chased and I've lived in the Northeast all my life. So <laughs> I'm a bit jealous of all these stories. I've got to get out, out there and do it at some point. I agree with Gary that it's really a, you look at the models and you look at the different data and you try to figure out what the best ingredients are. I did have a, a quick question for Gary too about g given your experience, bef you know, before you chased and, and um, drove for Tempest Tours, like, how did, I guess, how did your weather experiences in St. Louis and in, in your role there influence your interest in weather? Did you have, like, significant experiences with weather in, in that role when you were in St. Louis for a long time? Yeah, as a child, my family was very quick to go out on the front porch and watch the thunderstorms. Um, I always joked that we went back inside when the neighbor's stuff blew by. Um, <laughs> But with that, I, I definitely had an interest in weather. Once I got into EMS and I uh, got into emergency management, of course, my chase would end at the damage path because that's where my job would, would pick up. So I didn't get a lot of chances to, to chase in the St. Louis area. Um, this gives me the opportunity to you know, focus strictly on the weather itself. But I've done a lot of work with the National Weather Service. Um, fortunately, through my career in, in the city of St. Louis, you know, with the special events, they were always there by my side, helping me, you know, with the weather and the predictions and what was coming in and what we were going to see, you know, in those partnerships. And I, I wanted to to bring this up on the podcast as well. 
is really important to the first responders, the emergency management, and that push to get that information out to the public is really key. And as we talked about the special events, you know, earlier, following those special events, when, you know, the tornado sirens were going off, we were evacuating people from the area. And then of course the storm didn't produce. It's also important to bring that up to the public of why, you know, weather is so unpredictable is as predictable as it is you you're watching that supercell that you know is going to drop a tornado and then all of a sudden you just get the rear flank down draft of cold air and think well that's it and people don't realize how fast that can change and unfortunately that gets people in that mindset that oh it's just a tornado sirens again they always predict tornadoes we never get one you know it's that one chance that that tornado happens that people are going to get caught get injured and possibly killed if they don't follow these instructions you know we're definitely going to have to have that conversation again with you gary and especially talking about uh event yeah be awesome becky how about you can you smell it i don't think so i mean there's obviously petrichor which is the smell of after it rains but i don't i don't I don't think you can smell tornadoes, but I mean, according to Twister, you can drop some dirt <laughs> and whichever way the dirt that that's a real indicator I hear in greenage. And, and when, the, when the cow goes by, that's, that's a uh, significant. We got cows. You need to go. I have not seen a cow yet either. I think it's the same cow. It came back, came back the it other did. way. <laughs> well, Jamie, I'm not going to ask you if you can smell it, but I'm going to toss it back to you because we're running over here because we're having too much fun. I, I think I can smell snow, but I can't smell tornado. So that's, you know, you, I, there's something about the air when it, when it snows coming, that's the way I think about it. So hmm. that's the best I can, I can say. And, and I probably making that up. So anyway, um, <laughs> get, get, as get, long as we can smell something, we don't have COVID. That's the truth. Yeah. Right um, now, Gary can't smell a whole lot. Probably. Actually, I can smell everything. I, I it's the one thing I don't have with my COVID right now. Well, that's huh. good. Very good. Yeah. Um, Gary, where can folks find out more about maybe um, these types of tours or a company you work, you work with? Um, you know, it sounds fascinating for a certain group of people. I think that'd be something they might want to do sometime. Yeah, you can Google Tempest Tours or it's tempesttours.com. Um, they have all of their tours listed. They just posted the tours for uh, 2023. And they fill up quick. Um, so I would suggest getting on there as soon as possible and, and looking for a tour that would fit your schedule. And one of the things that's interesting really quick is, is the people that you tour with. We get people from Europe. We get people from Canada. We get people from New Zealand, Germany, um, all around the world that come to the United States to go on these tours. Uh, and it's really fun to be with all of those you know, storm enthusiasts and photographers. I, I'm a wannabe amateur photographer, and I've learned a lot from our guests on, you know, photography. So I've improved my skills doing that. And uh, I really, I really encourage if you're interested in weather and you, you don't want to go out on your own, I never encourage amateur storm chasing. It, it is dangerous. There's a lot of hazards, not just the weather. 
So look at tempesttours.com and, and definitely come join us. Yeah, go with the pros. Fantastic. Um, Becky, where can folks find you? Over on Twitter at WX underscore Bex and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. And Dan? Find me on Twitter at WX Depot, D-E-P-O, and also in the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Fantastic. And um, I want to make give a shout out to Dr. Joe and Paragon Medical Education Group and thank them for their continued sponsorship of the Disaster Podcast. We do thank them um, for everything that they've done to bring this show to you each week. And um, that is one of the reasons we're able to have people on like Gary um, on a weekly basis because we are able to keep this show alive and, and, and going uh, now, now into what, eight or nine years doing this. Um, it's pretty amazing. So um, check them out at paragonmedicalgroup.com. You can also find links to them on disasterpodcast.com site, and you can catch up with them in their Facebook group as well. Um, But it's great to um, have them supporting us and continue to uh, bring that support to you through the Disaster Podcast. Um, Sam, where can folks find you? Well, in social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, we have a new still-in-progress website for IDMC. Uh, I don't have the rather complicated URL yet, but I'll send it to you. Sounds good. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes then. Uh, Make sure you email that to me. And um, I'd just like to say that you can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations. So look me up or friend or follow me. And, of course, the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to catch up with you there. And that's always a great place to catch up with a lot of our experts. If you have a question after listening to an episode or a question down the road and you say hey there's a guy we listen to on the podcast i want to get this question answered a lot of them are hanging out in the group and we'll respond back um or we can track them down for you so um just leave those questions in there and participate um post your questions your comments your uh, links to some news items related to disasters we'd love to get them um that's it sam um great episode and and really great that we were able to get gary on the show tonight and yes we will do this again But I think that the message for this podcast is if you want to go storm chasing, do it with the pros.